0: You're listening to the Oregon First
1: Hunting and Fishing Podcast. Our mission is to connect with and actively engage Western Oregon Air Force.
0: Like I want to encourage people to have a positive life's change from the outdoors. Yeah. It's not just killing something.
2: One question we ask on this show is what's your true motivation behind your life in the outdoors? What's going on deep down inside of you when you're engaging with hunting and fishing? I believe that God gave us the ability to do this. That's one way to connect with God. This
0: is where the spiritual peace really comes in. We are a part. We have a profound impact on our resources. I don't know how to answer that rather than to say it's it's just all about Jesus. Listen to
2: this podcast. Join our Facebook group at Salem First Hunting and Fishing Club. Or participate in any of our club fishing trips, shooting events, or hunting trips. Welcome to the show. We're super glad that you tuned in and hope that you learned something valuable from today's episode. We're recording here in Salem, Oregon, at our home studio here. And one of our goals of this show is to provide content that's specifically geared toward the most overlooked segment of the outdoorsman community. That is Pacific Northwest hunters and fishermen, even more specific, Oregon hunters and fishermen. That's why we're putting Oregon first and everything that we talk about, whether you hunt blacktailed deer or you hunt Roosevelt elk or you go fishing in the Willamette River for smallmouth, buoy ten salmon, all those things that are distinctives of our area. We want to talk about it. We want to create content revolving around that. So for those of you who spend the fall and winter swimming around in the wettest woods in the lower 48, thanks for tuning in. Wanted to remind you, join our Facebook group at Salem First Hunting and Fishing and like our Instagram at OFHF Podcast. That way we can stay connected and get to know you a little bit and you can be a part of our club gatherings.
1: Yeah. So coming up, we have a duck hunt December 16th. We're going to meet up really early in the morning, caravan out of here, uh, and we're going to head towards the Salmon River just outside of Otis. Uh, it should be a day duck hunt. We are gonna plan to be gone all day. I would yep. think. Yeah. So. Yep. I think we will probably get back
2: late afternoon. Yeah. It's usually somewhere in there. hmm It's about it's a it's a, exactly an hour drive from Salem. Is it? Yep.
1: It seems like it's longer than that.
2: Yeah. Just to get to the
1: launch yeah. at the Salmon River is exactly an hour. So bring your shotgun. Bring your shells. Make sure you have your duck stamp.
2: Yep. You need your duck stamp. You need your wetland or no? I'm sorry. What? What are they called again? Waterfowl validation there you go. <laughs> and your hunting license. Yep. Um, there also is a potential for sea ducks. So if you want to shoot a scoter or something like that, you can grab your, your sea duck permit for two bucks. But other than that, you just need those other things I just said. And if you have decoys, if you have kayak boat. Bring it, be helpful. But if not, we'll make sure to get you set up with someone who has those things.
1: And finally, we want to add shop talk to your guys' schedule. If you guys haven't heard about that, we've been plugging that for the last few months now. Every fourth Monday of the month, we come together at 5.30 p.m. in Jefferson at a private property. While we all kind of hang out, we have food. We talk about hunting and fishing. We have special guest speakers. So if you guys want to come out, it is a free event. You can get a hold of us. Contact us via Facebook or on our Instagram page.
2: Yeah. In this episode, we talk about Eric and I's week in the outdoors. We have some news about Foster Lake Kokanee and uh, Green Peter Kokanee, and we talk with our guest, tournament bass fisherman and discount tackle
1: representative. Is that the right word?
0: Uh, that
2: works. All yeah. right. Yeah. Discount tackle guy Jamie Mack
1: yeah so jamie mackle and i across paths. uh let's see when we were teenagers yeah we were just kids yeah the corvallis kind of philomath area um we were both hanging out in the freestyle motocross scene i met him the day he hit his first ramp do you You remember that you were there for that oh man dad came out with this oh oh yeah yeah, a little swisher sweet cigar talking (laughs) amping you up that was a scary day. <laughs> I probably don't remember that because I was so just focused. Yeah. Yeah, kind of weighed kind of out. Yeah. First jump, you came up just a hair short that's, and the second one, you just nailed it. I still have that hip problem. That's what caused yeah. my hip problem. That's wow. the jump. That, really? Yes. That You're exactly so You drawn? came back, dude, and it yeah, all started I gotta there. Say, yeah,
2: that's where it was. <laughs> cool. Your your tides have kind of shifted now. You're into the pretty heavy, like I would say really heavy into the fishing world as far as everything from tournaments where you work at discount tackle, uh, social media and everything. Your, your world revolves around a boat now.
0: Definitely. Not so uh, much a bike, huh? Yeah. I had to, I had to kind of hang up the bike. Uh, I got tired of those injuries, you know, I uh-huh. just had, had trouble, uh, staying off the throttle, you know, it was yep. too much fun to just go wide open and, you know, hit big jumps, ramps, uh, backflip dirt bikes, at, yep. at one point, and well, now you need a
2: John boat with a mud motor, and you can jump some right. Dams. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah jump He's some got I've John got a little boat. river boat, but yeah. it doesn't have
0: the uh like the mud outboard that long. Tiller. Oh yeah, I know. That's
2: that's the goal for me someday, and we'll we'll get more into that. But right, right. now it is time for
1: icebreakers. Icebreakers. Three, two, one, go. Fishing or hunting? Fishing. Kayak or boat? Uh, both are cool, but I'm a boat guy. <laughs> Spinning or bait caster? Oh, see, that's hard. To, that's hard. Uh,
0: it's so situational for me that yeah. it's hard for me to. I mean, if I had to choose, it'd be a bait caster for sure. I yeah. like frog and flipping, yep. heavy stick, but. Yeah. There's a time and a place for both. Sure.
1: Lake or river?
0: Also tough, but uh grew up on the Willamette River. I've uh, been fishing actually longer than I'd done anything in life. Uh, my dad was a salmon and steelhead guide, and and we fished the river systems all the time, so I'd, I'll say river for sure. Yeah.
1: So salmon or bass?
0: Bass, yeah, yeah. I love them both. If I'm eating them, salmon. Yeah. Yep. But, yep. uh,
1: Can't beat the pink meat, right? No, it's,
0: <laughs> it's too good. It's good, good for you and delicious. Hey,
2: that'd be a good sticker. Can't beat the pink meat. Ooh. But well, that sounds <laughs> a little suggestive, yeah. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> Never know,
0: man. It might, that might be the selling uh, point. We also yeah. just copyrighted that, by the way. So <laughs> yeah, right. We'll
2: talk about some personal hunting and fishing stories for me and Eric. I had a pretty eventful Saturday opening of duck season, and not eventful in a good way, particularly. I mean, at least I created the memories, right? And But I bought a 1983 9.9 Johnson for my John boat, from some guy and he said it had been sitting for two years which you know as those things run forever oh. so i i tested it in my front yard and it started right up on the first pole and it you know idled a little rough for a second then it cleared up and i was like sweet got a boat motor i mean you can't really know how it's due until you get it out on the water and open it up yep so uh here's the lesson i learned always test your new motors upstream not good. downstream it wasn't good thinking because I didn't do that. <laughs> well, it's good thinking now. Yeah, you, you learned yeah. the hard way. I did. <laughs> I don't know. I was a little too cocky uh, because I had a I had a 1964 Evinrude before this one that I would always test it upstream. And this time I just got too cocky. I'm like, oh, this thing will run great. Took it downstream, got maybe a quarter mile from the dock and it dies the first time. Started messing with it a whole bunch. Figured out that or what. I still haven't figured out exactly, but it was having fuel issues. Either the diaphragms and the fuel pump are all hard from sitting, or there's something the O-rings on the gas line connections, I don't know what, but it kept starving out whenever I'd try to get it up at full throttle. So I was hand pumping with the bulb to keep it alive. And it was working, it was keeping it alive when I do that, and I should have turned around then. But me and my buddy had a day of duck hunting planned. So we buzzed right down the river. We went miles down the river, probably 3 or 4 miles, uh you know, doing some different duck sets. But then it started giving me grief again and it died and we couldn't get it to start back up. I don't know what was happening. We duck hunted for a little bit, barely got it alive and then by hand pumping the fuel, I was able to keep it going. I think when I hand pump the fuel, it's using a lot more gas than it would if it was you know, doing it by itself. Yeah. And so I wasn't really paying attention to my fuel gauge and I looked down at the tank and it has a little float in there and it was on empty as I'm only halfway back upstream to the truck. Uh, and I guess I should add, I shot a coot that day and that was all that I shot the whole day. (laughs) The only trigger pull of the whole day was on a coot. All that effort, man. And so we're getting back we're we're like stressing you know we're sweating because we're it's empty and it's starting to kind of kick a little bit like it's running out of gas we make it around the corner and i can see my truck it is right there it on onyx it showed it was only 500 yards away and the motor dies (laughs) and so we paddle as hard as we can because the willamette pushes pretty hard oh yeah and so we got onto the bank and we let the motor sit for like 15 minutes and cranked and cranked and cranked because we we managed to tilt the tank and get a little bit of gas in the pickup you know to try to think well maybe it'll make it but unfortunately no (laughs) so we ended up trying to paddle back but kept getting pushed back too hard so we just there was no bank we were grabbing sticks and brush and pulling the boat up back up and we finally got to where there was enough of a gravel bank that we could wade and push the boat and made it back to the truck. I think I flew too co- close to the sun on that one. Yeah. And uh, definitely everyone test your motors upstream. <laughs> Otherwise you'll have a Saturday like I did. And I've been sore ever since because pulling your <laughs> boat upstream with those sticks is not the best way to do it. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a great workout. Yeah, a little bit of arm yeah. pump. Yeah. Oh, and my forearm was killing me after pumping the field bulb all day long (laughs) but hey that 9.9 that actually gets me up and down the river way better than my 5.5 did so yeah i'm happy about that i just need to get it running yeah what
0: length is the john boat
2: it's a 12 footer. Yeah. So yeah.
0: It's, that'll rock and roll for sure. Yeah. It, yeah.
2: Uh, supposedly it should be able to get on plane if I'm in it by myself. I so, and it was close with two people in it. It was doing pretty good. 25 yeah. downstream. So, oh yeah.
0: That's, that's plenty good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's uh, pretty good. All right, Eric, how about you? Well, my week didn't suck that bad, but <laughs> no, it's just been a week full of family stuff the last couple of weeks. So really, uh, that's just kind of been dedicated to that. Um, I did get us an invite to uh, go over on the river system over on the coast. We're going to try and do some coho fishing one of these days here soon. I scared the crap out of these guys. We were at a we were at the ta- uh, tackle swap meet that we had at yeah, Shop yeah. Talk. Oh, and yeah, Andy, yeah. Andy's got this bow. And it's
2: probably, it's a Matthews yep. from like, I don't know when. It could have been the 90s, could have been the 90s. 80s. I'm thinking
1: early 90s.
2: Based on the camo pattern and by the string, it looked like it hasn't been messed with for that long. <laughs> yeah. So what do I do? I walk up and, <laughs> and he pulls it right back. These guys, unafraid, they're standing right in
1: front of me, and I pull it back, and both of them are kind of. Like, I was
2: expecting that thing to explode, A snap man. on you. Yeah. yeah, that would not feel good. What, what are uh-uh. you guys worried about? You yeah. know, yeah. but uh, just oblivious to the. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and get schooled up in the bow hunting. Uh, try and get my. Try and get one soon. I'm going to go get it tuned right away. So that way I start off with uh, fairly decent habits. So that's kind of it for me. Hopefully, soon we'll get out and do some coho fishing. Yeah, try to get on those. They're running really heavy still in
2: the Willamette. People are catching, they're getting pretty colored up, but you know, people are catching coho still. All right, well, we'll move on to our uh, look at the news. All right, I guess I want to say, I put it in big letters. Here's our look at the news. There's a massive kokanee die-off at Foster and Green Peter, the two reservoirs there just out of Sweet Home. Thousands of kokanee found dead floating at the surface. Yeah. So those that know about these two connected reservoirs know that both the lakes are pretty well-known kokanee fisheries. And in an effort due to a lawsuit, they're going to allow the water level in Green Peter to hit historic lows down to almost the level of a creek. So the ODF&W did test the dead fish and confirmed that they didn't die of a disease or an infection. They died due to the effects of being forced into shallow hot water. Green Peter is pretty deep down there by the dam, and that's where they all hang out in that deep cold water in the summertime and, and even into the early fall. And what they're doing by releasing the water, they're blowing it out of the bottom of the dam, and it's sucking those kokanee out and tumbling them around. They get spit out into the top water column of the shallow water below and their swim bladders are blowing up just like when you catch a rockfish out of the ocean yeah you know and you have to put them in a cage to push them back down that's happening to the kokanee and that's what's killing them is being forced out of the dam so the reason why they're doing this is because of a lawsuit uh funded by the native fish society the Wild Earth Guardians, and the Northwest Environmental Defense Center. And they want to draw down the lakes to allow for better passage by juvenile Chinook
1: salmon. I'm just going to say all of those organizations that probably shouldn't be making decisions about our... I don't know anything
2: about those organizations,
1: but what they're doing
2: is the Chinook salmon that spawn up there. They apparently have a hard time getting out of the dam outlet Because they stay in the top part of the water column, apparently within the top 25 feet. And so by lowering the dam, they're trying to get them closer to the outlet. But what that's causing is Green Peter's so low that it's sucking out all the kokanee and killing them. And to have it down to like a creek, you know, that's a lot of good fishing.
1: Yeah. Well, just seeing the pictures I saw, it was it was chaotic, thousands of fish belly up. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just a few, it was literally thousands. And
2: And before we recorded, Jamie was telling us about the bass fishing was getting really hot out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The uh, smallmouth fishing in Green Peter in the last handful of years has really, really come a long way. Uh, I mean, very large fish. I've seen seen smallmouth uh, up to seven pounds caught. I haven't personally caught one that large out there, but I've caught a bunch in That's the five massive. pound range. That's massive. for a smallmouth, especially yeah. in Oregon, right? You know, I've I've caught plenty of myself in the last handful of years in the five pound range. Really healthy fish, uh, and we even won a tournament out there a couple of years ago. Uh, our best five weighed close to 23 pounds, all smallmouth. It's a huge bet. And it's it's the numbers too. There's there's a, you know, it's not like overpopulated or entirely overrun with smallmouth by any means, but there's good numbers of them there. And and they're, you know, they're big, healthy fish. Um, yeah. And it's th- this drawdown of green peter, especially if they truly get it down to, a, you know, a creek or river level. Sure, some of those fish can probably survive, but you think of the amount of fish as a whole in that body of water, whether it's the coconut uh, other trout species or spe- trout species the bass there's large mouth in there as well as small mouth i've caught crappie bluegill you know perch there's a lot of fish in yeah, that body of water yeah. to jam them all into one tiny river system for half the year yep there's going to be a lot of die-off outside of even the kokanee i have to imagine
2: yeah and that's what i'm wondering like uh we've seen the kokanee they're washing up in mass they died because they were physically forced out of the dam but how many of those fish that Are remaining in the reservoir going to die just because the water's so low. Like you're saying, there's less room, it's going to be warmer you know, it's totally food sources. I mean, yeah. yeah,
0: you know, there's going to be eating each other, I guess even yeah. more than normal. Uh, it's totally going to change be a lot the lake. Of food. Yeah. yeah. There's a ton of crawdads in that lake where, you know, obviously they're going to get, I guess, funneled down into yeah. this river as well. But how many of those are going to die off? And yeah. Is there enough to sustain uh-huh. all of these other fish through this part of the season?
2: One note that I read in an article about this, that they tried to put a positive spin is that there was a lot of kokanee. So they were small. Now there's going to be less, so they'll be big. But I just don't think that if it's drawing down to the level of a creek. I don't think there's going to be any kokanee in there. Right.
0: They need deep lakes. They're Whoa. deep lake fish. And even you got to wonder how, with all these different fish species, how is this going to affect their spawn? Uh, for, yeah. Outside of, of course, the salmon. I mean, we all love salmon as well. It's not like uh-huh. we're dogging on the salmon. Like, yeah, we want those to have healthy population as well. But you know, with all these other fish and their spawning cycles throughout the season, is there going to be enough water back in the reservoir to provide the proper structure? And is the water be high enough to where those for, you know I'm thinking bass cuz I'm a bass guy but yeah will the will the big flats where there's stumps be underwater in time to where that's you know that's where those smallmouth go and yeah. spawn and
2: even can there be enough fish to reproduce and right. you know keep the spawn going keep the population up cuz if it changes that much are we just going to have a big lake with no fish in it because that's a pretty wild transition to go from creek to lake to creek to lake, you know? Right.
1: Well, I've been hearing all this, This I don't even want to call them rumors. People are coming out on social media saying West Coast fishing's dead. Well, now you know why. You know, we have people out there making decisions that aren't good for our fisheries. And, you know, ultimately what it's affecting is tournament fishing. It's affecting recreational people. It's, you know, now you guys kind of know why it's dead.
2: Isn't Isn't Green Peter one of the biggest reservoirs we have in the this part of the state i would
1: say yeah
0: definitely in this part of the state yeah um uh, yeah it's it's a it's a good sized lake has long arms you know river yeah. arms creek arms because obviously uh, like
2: prineville's bigger place.
0: right you get out in central oregon yeah, you there's got some, bigger some of lakes, those
2: but, but like for our area that's like the biggest one by a long shot i think
0: yeah that and uh fern ridge Ridge, yeah in, uh down in okay. eugene that's a big yeah. one but it's a giant bowl right
2: they're probably going to drain that one down too.
0: There's definitely talk of them draining yeah. additional lakes, especially our Highland reservoirs. It's like Green Peter, yeah. Um, your Cottage Groves, your Detroit. Detroit's, um, yep. Lookout Point Reservoir. I've I've heard you know rumor and even some seen some stuff in writing uh, talking about how they yeah. may target some of these other lakes. It well, could change things big time. I for
2: sure us. hope that it works and we get some more freaking salmon to go catch. If we're not going to be able to go any fishing anymore well absolutely and you know (laughs) it may be question it may
0: hurt a lot of those fisheries and if that's the case yeah if we're not getting a a significant increase in the salmon populations what are we doing yeah
2: yeah well that does it for the news segment there's nothing we can do about it we're powerless this is just happening to our lake so let's hope that things settle out there well let's get into our guest interview with jamie mack
1: Jamie, welcome to the show. We appreciate you being here. You've been on our list for, well, since the inception of our show. And, hey dude, you were on our top 10 list. Can you yeah. believe that?
0: Well, we made it, right? Yeah. This is number 10.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we squeaked it in. Yeah. Top. That's right. Dude, yeah. I didn't even <laughs> I didn't think even about, think that. about that's that. that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we're just happy to have you here. You're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to fishing, fishing the rivers, the lakes. Um, you know you you have a, a strong business background just out of kind of all of our friends probably one of the ones that I'm like, that's a good guy. appreciate that a lot. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. First off, thank you guys for having me. I'm very grateful to be here and have this opportunity. I think it's really cool. Uh, Love what you guys are doing. Like I said, I've listened to some of the podcasts. I haven't caught all nine previous yet, but I'm working on it and uh, man, I've been digging it. You guys are doing a great job. So thanks for having me.
1: Thank yeah. you. What are some of your maybe it's a hunting or a fishing story? What's one that you could share with us that kind of sticks out? Sure. Uh,
0: you know, it's a tough question to to narrow that down to just one yeah. individual experience, but put you on the um, spot. Yeah. And I, yep. I think, you know, I've done plenty of hunting in my life, but mm-hmm. more or less that was when I was younger. I haven't done as much hunting uh, in the last, say, 10 years. I still have. I dabble here and there, but fishing's really taken over. So far as a, a fishing story, I don't know if it's really one individual moment, but it was uh, an annual trip that my family would take over to eastern Oregon, a little town called Halfway Oregon. It's near Baker. Okay. Uh, okay I had right. an, yeah, I had an aunt and uncle over there. Um, they have moved. They're actually back uh, over here now on the coast, but for many years they lived in Halfway and we would go fishing uh, out on the Snake River. My Sweet, uncle had a pontoon. Cool. We'd tube behind it. We'd barbecue on it. We'd fish. Uh, yeah. and, and that at... When I was a young kid, that really—that's uh, where I started doing a lot of bass fishing, catching smallmouth. We do we'd catch crappie like crazy out there. The crappie populations yeah. were insane. Uh, do fish fries and all that. And I think just being out on the boat with my dad, my family, my uncle—you know, my mom was always out there. Uh, we'd bring my cousin sometimes and just have a blast out on the Snake River and catching all kinds of stuff. There was even times I'd skin, I skinned—I remember never forget skinning my first catfish. Oh yeah, I was gonna say there's some catfish old school out there. like they were doing it old school. You nail them through the yep. top of the skull uh-huh. and you're using pliers to rip that skin off Nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got to work hard for that fish fry it's the only way i've ever done it <laughs> is that okay maybe that's just the way i don't know i figured I that was like the a, best way to do it <laughs> yeah it, it worked well but yeah. uh, a lot of great memories over over there on the snake river and actually um, one of the reasons I, I chose that as as my story here is when i got married my wife and i didn't take a legitimate honeymoon for a couple of years we were saving up some money so instead right after our wedding we shot over i took her to halfway i actually showed her my aunt and uncle's old house yeah oh, uh, wow. Yeah, we did. We brought the bass boat, went out and did some fishing uh, on the Snake River, caught a bunch of bass. You caught a gigantic catfish. And so it kind of came full
1: circle for me to go share some of these childhood experiences with her. That's cool. That was really cool. Yeah. Well, one thing you mentioned was your dad and your dad, he's a huge guy in your life. Sure. The first day I met you, I was like, dude, this guy's dad is... So rad. Your dad was
0: hilarious.
1: He Yeah, he was oh a legend man. for sure
0: in his own right, you know. He
1: he would give you crap, but man, he was just the nicest guy in the world. I think anything you do, he was backing you a hundred percent. Right. You know, is that guy super was... supportive.
0: Just incredibly blessed to have him as a father. And yeah, Uh he you know he didn't take crap from anyone, especially me, when it came down <laughs> to it. He kept me he kept me in line uh, when he needed to, for sure. But yeah, very supportive, and I wouldn't be the person I am today without his influence, no doubt about it.
1: Yeah, and he kind of in his support, you know. I I don't I don't know a lot of parents that are like yeah go jump this dirt bike. (laughs) Right. You know, as a dad, go (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. 10 foot super kicker. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, my body hurts so bad these days. I'm just like, I couldn't ever talk my kid into doing that, you know? But your dad was always there and, you know, always had a cigar in his mouth. Yep. Hanging out, watching, cheering you on. But he kind of got you going into your motocross career. So tell us a little bit about that. Just, I guess, explain the, transition between motocross and getting into bass fishing. Sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the dirt bike thing, that was a like 15 year plus span of my life. Uh, I'll always consider myself a dirt bike guy. I still own wow. dirt bikes. Uh, how old were you when you started that 15 years? Oh gosh. I mean, probably 12 or 13, which is actually late getting into it for somebody that goes and wants to be competitive in the sport of motocross, really? whether okay. it's racing or anything, really a lot of those guys are starting when they're like, as soon as they can walk, they're getting on a dirt bike. Those guys are, you know, I'm talking like the guys running like the AMA Supercross and motocross stuff. But, um, but yeah, had a, had a great stint there. Uh, absolutely love doing it still, you know, ride dirt bikes till the day I die, or at least tell my body won't let me do it, but I've taken it, I've toned it way, way back. But yeah, my father was very, uh, influential in that. Uh, he was, uh, a dirt bike dude back in the 70s my i've got an older brother that not a lot of people know about he's 20 years older than me so yeah <laughs> so i've got years older wow. he, yeah uh, half brother same mother uh but my dad was a father figure to him in a sense and uh-huh. they got into riding dirt bikes and actually my brother was phenomenal like dude used to ride cr500s race them wow. back when that was a wow. thing right yeah uh he was i believe he was even state champion at one point here in oregon wow. racing the motocross circuits i'll never forget Uh, going to the Albany motocross track when I was a little kid and, Watching my brother uh, just sanding it out there, thinking, "Oh, that's the coolest thing." And I had my <laughs> first drink of Gatorade there. I'll never forget that either. I don't know why <laughs> well, that stuck yeah, with me, but I, I was like, "Wow, that's good." You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't actually start riding for quite a few years after that particular moment. But yeah. uh, father kind of, I went went to him one day and said, "Hey, I want to I want to throw my leg over a dirt bike." At that point, he didn't actually have a dirt bike anymore. Eventually, we, we he he bought a new dirt bike and got me a little dirt bike and yeah, started riding together.
1: Yeah. So did motocross help you kind of get recognized in the sport of, or getting into the sport of bass fishing?
0: I think it definitely played a role, um, in, in some regards, sure. uh, from like a sponsorship standpoint, uh, I had some of the necessary skill sets for going out and approaching companies to try to gain sponsorship because right. of the motocross side of things. You know, yeah. I, I would say I really a learned.
2: sponsored motocross rider. I did
0: have, yeah, a handful of sponsors over the years yeah. um, that, that helped me out. A little bit financially, a lot of it was more like parts and gear and, you know, things that you got to pay for out of pocket if you yeah. don't have
1: it, but yeah, energy drinks out. the Yeah. Wazoo. Yeah. That, that was another long <laughs> stand of my life there. But, um, you, but you yeah. don't
2: have any connections with energy drinks still, you know, I'm sure if I needed,
0: yeah, if I needed some samples, I could still get yeah, a few, yeah. but no, uh, yeah. Worked for rockstar energy for, uh, quite some time, met some really cool wow. people there, uh, in the motocross world, still have some really great friends that, uh, I met through that and then ended up, you know, working a full time job at rockstar and then jumping ship wow. in the last eight Eight and a half or nine years, I was at Monster Energy prior to now working at Discount tackle so really okay. yeah so i spent a lot of time in energy so is drink that so is that
2: a normal path for people to take like motocross and energy drinks hand in hand in the era that i was
0: involved heavily yeah the energy drink thing was huge like it, it everyone became, knows about red bull oh, you know yeah. extreme sports yeah all of the, those three brands like your big your big three or your yep. you know your red bull your rockstar and your monster energy uh they're the three biggest players as far as sponsorship wise in the motocross world uh and still to this day they're very so very interesting in that. that
2: they have that need there you know but they're not really into fishing they're starting to get there so i was pushing monster hard i knew some of the
0: marketing guys and i was pushing like you guys got to think about it you got not everybody's old in the sport of fishing we're all all different ages but we all get up at 3 a.m 4 a.m whatever it may be 5 a.m fishing these tournaments or even just going fishing on the weekend we're out on the water long you know long periods of time like these are the guys that literally live off caffeine like you need this is a this is your core market and those older dudes they really need it mountain dew has the market corn in right. A lot
2: of ways, and they could easily take them out. You know? Yeah. So yeah, no, it's it's they're
0: they're starting to. I think they. I'm not saying I necessarily influence that with Monster, but I am seeing them play a little bit more in okay. the fishing and, and outdoor world, and I love seeing that. So yeah, it, they've got a couple guys that are top tier pros now.
2: Well, then if they weren't already in that world, was that something you always had your eye on? Like
0: when did you start tournament fishing, and when did it kind of grow into something more? I actually fished my first tournaments as a young kid. So my dad, I think I mentioned earlier, he was a salmon and steelhead guide. When when I I was young. So he did that when I was real young. Eventually, he kind of gave that up to be around more, essentially, uh, when I was a young kid. But he kept a boat. He had a jet boat that he was guiding out of. And we started just entering bass tournaments. We thought it'd be fun. Uh, So I did it as a a young kid for actually quite a few years. Eventually, he bought a bass boat, sold the jet boat. Uh, We got a little more serious about it. And then all of a sudden, dirt bikes popped up and, oh, okay. and you so know girls and, yeah girls and dirt bikes <laughs> yeah. and i this i kind of took a took a left turn it's there. like
2: your destiny that you couldn't get away from like the, as far as the fishing yeah yeah no it you came tried. right back and you tried it, <laughs> the, the fishing
0: bug bit me hard again yeah. uh so yeah that uh, tournament fishing started for me then. I don't know if, I mean, not on the level I'm doing it now. Right. Right. Um, I got back into actual serious tournament fishing probably about seven or eight years ago. I jumped, well, I was oh, still okay. doing, I was still working at the energy drink company. Uh, and it just, yeah, I, I was tired. Like I said, tired of getting hurt so much. Um, and just, uh, wanted something I could do real easy, you know, just slide out on the river. And, and, uh, so my, my father had a riverboat, uh, he passed years ago and, oh, okay. So he had, you know, the riverboat was still floating around and it's a little river bass boat with a jet pump on it. So I inherited that and (laughs) we hadn't run it. We had run it a few times, a few years prior to him passing. And Uh I was, you know, it was a very nostalgic thing. Same boat we ran, actually one of the same boats we ran when I was a young kid. And I just wanted to get that thing out. So I went and dug that thing out of the shed, cleaned it up, tuned it up got it running man i put it on a lake though to test the outboard oh not <laughs> a river <laughs> yeah,
2: not a river. Yeah, just go upstream dude <laughs> it was It'll actually yeah, right back <laughs> it was actually
0: uh foster lake of all lakes oh. so we yeah. were talking about that earlier i just took it out there wow. to make sure that thing would run but yeah got that thing out you know like i said dusted it off started doing some bass fishing on the willamette going to all my dad's old spots we had yeah. nicknames for all these holes and yep. yeah, i was like i ah, just so nostalgic to go back and we actually put some of his ashes out in a lot of these yeah, places. Nice. So it wow. was a very special thing to be able to take his boat that I had inherited Absolutely. and go put his ashes out in some of his favorite fishing holes on the Willamette river. Off of his boat. And yeah. exactly. And, and that just ignited that fishing passion again. I just uh-huh. couldn't get away from it. Yeah. Uh, next thing I know, I'm rejoining the club that we were in as, as when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, at the time it was the Polk County Bass Busters.
2: Sweet. Uh, okay. pretty cool name. I wish yeah. they didn't change it, but
0: uh, they they got away from the Polk County thing, got a little bigger, they uh transitioned to the Mid Valley Bass Club. Oh, um, all right. There so, you go. So that's yeah. that's the club I joined uh you know, know seven or so years ago polk county technically bass it's Busters. the same club yeah wow. <laughs> uh, so that the really great group of guys uh yeah, still a great them, group I of see guys them doing a lot of stuff yeah it's a cool group very yeah. very approachable folks uh you know anybody looking to get into tournament bass fishing here in oregon definitely check out mid-valley bass club cheap entry fees you're not spending a fortune um, yeah but still a fun day and you can win a few bucks at the end of the day if you do good so oh fun but yeah that was it started started with the clubs and then over the last seven or so years just started entering into some of the bigger opens and bigger circuits. And now I'm doing anything and everything I can get my hands on
1: here. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Speaking of circuits, what circuits are you running right now? So you just got done with ABA, right? Correct. What do you got coming up uh, in 2024? 2024 I'm not even entirely sure yet to be
0: honest. Yeah. Um you know there's the three kind of the three bigger circuits here in Oregon. You got your ABA which is American Bass, uh TBF which is the Bass Federation, uh and then BASS which uh they do a, the Bass Federation Nation which is like their state level. Those three are they're all amazing circuits. I've now fished all of them at one time or another. ABA we did really well this year. We actually won angler of the year. We tied. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations team, but by the thank way. You. Yeah, that was I've been hunting down one of those for a long time trying to a lot of second places. Finally got a finally got the Dude, top spots. So.
1: I think I'd take that over a first place win any day. On a single tournament? Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Oh, I, yeah. I agree. For sure. Yeah. I, I think that's a combination of of your whole season, right? You gotta do yeah. well all season. You can't have too many slip ups. Yeah. Um and we just like I said, we barely squeaked this was the last tournament of the season. Um we knew we had to either win it or get second. Yeah. And we would stay in that top spot. And we ended up getting second. So we tied for that top spot. Wow. Really cool. Uh a couple things that are changing. So ABA. Wonderful circuit. Uh, We had a guy that kind of re like had had come in and brought ABA back to Oregon. Yeah. ABA is a whole west coast uh circuit. Uh, but they do all these state level tournaments. Well the guy, great dude, his name's Dustin. Uh, he's done a great job as tournament director for ABA here in Oregon, but he actually just got a new job offer and he has hit the road. He is now I believe he's on his way to North Carolina. Uh oh, so wow. he's not going to be doing tournament director or president or whatever his title was anymore. Yeah. So they're they're kind of scrambling trying to find somebody to step up and take over that yeah. that role. So I'm not sure if ABA is even going to happen next year. Which part of the uh, AOI, uh, yeah. you, you get your tournaments paid for for the next season. So I'm really rooting for somebody to yeah, step up because uh, I don't have to pay for entry fees. So
1: I hear Ryan Sparks wants uh, another director spot <laughs> right, this year. Right, there you <laughs> go. Yeah, where's Ryan at? Yeah, um, he's running BASS. Uh, right, so. and he does
0: a great job over yeah. there. BASS you know great great circuit again tbf great circuit tom at tbf does a phenomenal yeah. job tbf's really come a long way in the last few years their numbers are up you know their attendance is up uh, they're putting on some incredible open events on top of their circuits they run two circuits a coastal and a river circuit uh, i'll definitely still dabble with that and you know if aba doesn't doesn't work out then i'll jump back over and and join ryan on the the bass side
1: over the last few years you know we've had wild west bass trail we've had oh man We've had several over the last several years, but I think those three have been pretty prominent and not going away. So I'm just really hoping that ABA sticks around and we can find somebody to fill that hole because we need more attention to you know our West Coast fishery. We have guys going on you know national campaigns saying the West Coast is dead, and you know it's not dead yet. So let's fish it while it right, is right,
0: right. No, it's not dead yet, and I think from a very top level perspective, right. the big big circuits. Mm-hmm have just kind of cold-shouldered yeah. the West Coast as a whole. Yep. And it makes it tough, right? Uh, you know, you lose the sponsorship money, you lose the eyeballs from TV uh, and everything else for the West Coast. And it's like, how can we grow the West Coast when we don't have all that
1: support coming from the, the highest level? So it's challenging. We've well, we got to work it out for us. I don't think it's dead yet either. Yeah. Well, and there's challenges over on the East Coast too. Sure. You know, um, Bass Pro Tour, you know, they just took a million dollars out of the purse. Right. I mean, that's, that's huge. Uh, so that means payouts are going to get smaller. The fields are going to get smaller. Yeah. You know, basically, guys that would typically be, you know, in the top one through maybe 25, those those last 15 guys are getting cut. So... Yeah, it's it's going to be a narrow window of competition, I right. think. So, how do how do you see kind of the future of tournament fishing going? Do you think it's even a possibility to get you know more attention over here on the West Coast?
0: I, I definitely hope so. Um, you know, obviously, you mentioned the Wild West Bass Trail, and yep. and you know that that did fizzle out, uh, unfortunately. However one of the anglers who, uh, who also was very involved in the, the bass industry. He owns, uh, I think Bass Angler Magazine. Uh, if I'm, yeah, that's the right one. Bam. Uh, so Bass Angler Magazine. Uh, he, so he actually stepped up and, and purchased the assets from Wild West Bass. Cool. And he, so he now owns, you know, the, the trailers, the tournament setup, the weigh-in setup. Uh, and he is now creating his own circuit. It's going to be, you know, run under the uh, Bass Angler Magazine name, oh, okay. uh, so the BAM Tournament Trail, or you know, something along those lines. Uh, and so he's he's bringing it back. He's trying to get another you know full blown West Coast circuit back together. And he does have a lot of good connections in the industry. I've talked to this guy one on one on the phone uh, multiple times, and we've talked about sort of his game plan. And he's got the connections in the industry to potentially make some ha- make something happen. At least make some waves. And uh, obviously, it's going to take time right. It's going to take time, but, uh, I'm really excited to see what he does
1: for sure. Where do you kind of see, uh, your future going with fishing? Are you, I mean, you know, you have this career with discount tackle. I know, you know, most of us have to have a full-time job in order to support our habit. And for sure. <laughs> yeah. That no just happens to be really expensive. <laughs> um, but yeah, where do you, where do you see your fishing career going over the next several years? Definitely doing a little more of what I'm doing now. So you know,
0: I, my job at Discount Tackle is is a full time thing. I mean, that's that is my my nine to five or you know six yeah. to eight, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> working a lot of hours there and loving it. So I definitely you know see myself really focusing on. That. I've I've had to put a lot of focus on the the job and and my career, my future there, and even take some of the focus off certain aspects of the fishing, right? Like I'm not chasing down sponsors like I was at one time. I just sure. don't have as much time to do that. Um and had to had to you know, make that decision and do the, do the right thing and focus on the career. And uh, it's, that's also in turn though, been very beneficial to my fishing in its own way. Right. I mean, we get a little employee discount, which definitely helps goes a long way, but on top of it, I mean, I'm in the know, I'm, I'm fishing baits before they hit the market, you know, yeah, I'm getting to play awesome. <laughs> with stuff. But so there's, there's some benefit to it for sure. Uh, and, and making incredible contacts in the industry. Right. I've yeah. I, part of my job is brand manager. So I'm, I'm the guy that's bringing all the new products into discount tackle. Uh, and in that process, I get to meet all the the you know folks at these brands you know the biggest brands in the fishing world so I'm definitely building some good connections and beta
1: test so yeah yeah that's that's always fun yeah it's
0: tough because I go and have a you know banner day on a on a bait and I just want to post about it but I can't I'm like yeah Yeah. that's gonna be hard (laughs) Hmm.
1: you know you kind of you kind of alluded to that you know the work career bass fishing you know life is hard what's it like juggling or trying to juggle family life you know, are you are you dragging Sarah along with you to? On trips, work trips when you can, bass fishing trips when you can. It seems like you guys are able to get out. Def. yeah.
0: We uh, we get along phenomenal, so we we can. I can drag her out, and and uh, she doesn't go fishing with me maybe quite as much as I'd like. But I had to drop that in there. I had to drop it just in case she's listening. Sarah. But uh, but no, she she's wonderful. She's super super supportive. As far as like from a just general perspective, family life is is great. It is a lot though, right? Um, you know, and I'm just traveling regionally. I'm not even you know traveling like Oregon and Washington and a little bit of California uh, between work and fishing uh, tournaments and it's tough just doing that imagine what these guys are doing being on the road seven months a year fishing the professional circuits i mean it's wild to think of that but no i all in all everything's great Sarah's extremely supportive my family and friends are supportive but again yeah you gotta you gotta kind of narrow the focus down occasionally sure. and again that's what i did with discount tackle was really i uh, wanted to focus on that make my mark there uh, do what i can to help that business grow and i'm sure at some point if we can keep seeing good growth we'll get to a point where i'm able to squeak out a little more often shoot some content you know do the fun stuff yeah right now
1: is still the still the grind getting that business going to to where it needs to be well you guys have a huge footprint i mean compared to where you guys were even just a few years ago, you know, seeing ads popping up and you know, it's, that's awesome. Yeah. We've man. been
0: hitting that marketing hard and that's, that's my cool. other, that's the other half of my job is yeah. the marketing side. And we've been really pushing on that and adding new products. I mean, I think just in the first year I brought in close to 10,000 new SKUs. Wow. Wow. So <laughs> individual, <laughs> right? Like that can be individual colors and sizes within a category or line of baits, but yeah, we brought a lot in. We- yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, we've been hitting that really hard, trying to get as good of a selection as we can in our current space. We're actually going to be moving into a new warehouse uh, next summer. Really? We've got it all kind of lined up at this point, gaining Sweet. about, I think it was between six and 8,000 additional square Are you feet. Are wow. say what city it's in? It's literally next door to us in Wilsonville. We're just oh, actually cool. moving a few doors down. That's it's cool. a larger Sweet. space. So yeah, <laughs> cool. we're, we're staying real close. It'll be nice for the move because we won't have to yeah. load trucks and well, drive everything they around. They say that the closer the move, the worse it
2: is because then you feel like you don't need to box as much stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, well I guess different. we'll find out. <laughs> moving a whole warehouse is probably different than moving a house. Right? Yeah.
0: I, I don't actually know how we're going about that yeah. portion of it yet. I just know it's, it's in the works. So we're excited for that. Uh-huh. Cool. Right, we need the space. I've, Packed our warehouse to the gills with new products, Uh, and we are we're at that point. I'm starting having to you know tell companies no, I just can't bring any more in right now. We've gotta, even though I want to carry everything. Uh huh.
2: So your photography that you do, sure, has that been a part of your job at all at Discount?
0: Yeah, definitely shoot. You know, a little bit of the some of our marketing stuff. We haven't. I haven't had the time to do a ton with it there. I'd love to do more. I've, you know, and then I've done some product images for the site, but that's kind of plain and boring photography really. We're shooting on a white background, but, but yeah, I've definitely been able to to use the photography in a sense there. It's benefited me in a lot of different ways Uh, through my fishing and motocross careers. I've, Done a lot of uh, yeah. work in the photography world creating content. And like, even
2: looking at your Instagram account where you have like just tons of followers and really beautiful pictures of bass and little videos of fish and everything, you know, seems like you found a job that really fits a lot of different niches of your experiences and your skills.
0: I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the camera has been along with me for quite a few different rides. Like I said, the motocross world, I started shooting photography there, kind of a crazy story. So I was hired by uh, motorsport.com, which is one of the leading motocross parts, online e-commerce businesses in the world. Wow, and they're out of they're out of Portland, Oregon, or really? maybe Beaverton, I believe. And I love
2: hearing when we got big businesses. Oh yeah, they're right local. in our backyard yeah. for sure.
0: And so, <laughs> yeah, you know, I was working for them. I was doing some some different photos. Uh, we we're actually over on the coast uh, shooting some dunes shots that ended up in one of their calendars, and they did some other marketing oh, with cool. it. And long story short, the guy that I was working with doing those photos, his name was Jared. He called me up uh, about a year and a half ago, and I hadn't talked to him in quite a while. Like he was still on my phone. It was like jaredmotorsport.com. Like that was oh, what he yeah, was in yeah. there. And he goes, hey, I'm working for a fishing company. I want to talk. And I'm like, what?
2: (laughs) Random. You're you're a moto guy. Yeah, you
0: know that's and he goes, "Nah, I know, I know, it's crazy. We'll talk, you know, whatever." But I want, I want, I want to talk to you. I'm working for this this company called Discount Tackle. Yeah. And uh, he, at first, he was talking about just doing some content. He ended up having me come up and you know meet the folks there and check out the warehouse in Wilsonville. A, little bit of a covert. Interview. And I'm over. I'm just going <laughs> yeah. like, Holy smokes! There's so much tackle in this place. I had no, I, I didn't even know it existed. I didn't know Discount yeah. Tackle was a thing yet. Wow. And uh, so it turns out he is now my boss, uh, full time. So, wow. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's neat that that and that all started with that camera. And I I guess that that to bring it back there, yeah. it was the camera that uh, uh-huh. I was using to shoot some photos and you know, make a little pocket change on the side back in the moto world. Transitioned me now into working full time in the fishing industry, and I've used it for social as well. That's how I got a lot of my early sponsorships yeah. in the fishing world was being able to provide some sort of a benefit to a company over just hey, I'm wearing your logo on my shirt or I'm yep. wearing yep. your logo on my hat. Uh-huh. Was to provide that uh, little something extra in providing high quality professional content that they could use. Yeah.
2: And there's so many people that would love a job in the outdoor industry and yours kind of fell into your lap just from your experiences right. yeah. and your skills you,
0: you were sought out And I think, again, it comes back to, you know, how you market yourself, promote yourself. But again, it's, it's building those connections organically, I think is really important. Yeah. Um, you know, I have been the guy that's been out pushing really hard, like I said, to get sponsorships, trying to get that help. And it's, you get turned down way more than you get, you know, a yes. Yep. Um, but again, yeah, being, letting those things happen kind of organically, putting yourself out there, not being afraid to go shake hands with, you know, the cool guy that works at Rockstar Energy Drink, Uh you know, that same thing, just organically organically kind of turned into a job after yeah just wanting to meet like dude you work for rockstar that's awesome (laughs) how'd you get into that you want to ride dirt bikes together cool you know yeah yeah well that 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 definitely was asked but but yeah so uh yeah it's all it's all kind of one big uh one big picture right i'm use the camera open some doors for sure yeah yeah
1: we're we're kind of getting into the season of winter um so we're going to start talking a little bit about winter bass fishing and give us some some selections about not necessarily rod reel combo or anything like that but kind of what gear are you gonna be running this winter for me i've done okay off of jerk baits senkos. you know whether that's running them off a spinning rod finesse fishing um what what's kind of your go-to and what are some some baits that you like to use in uh kind of the winter months when you know the water's either super blown out brown nasty or there's that you know once in a while day where you get a decent you know blue crystal clear blue water
0: I definitely, I feel you on the spinning rod thing. Um, <laughs> you got to slow down in the winter, right? With bass in particular, right? You got to slow down a little bit, uh, but definitely a suspending jerkbait too. I've caught a lot of fish in the colder months on a suspending jerkbait, working it slow. It's not a, you know, you're not fishing it like KVD, just twitch, 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 twitch your twitch, twitch, pause, and you wait, and it's hard. Yeah. You got to let it sit there. So I've done, a- I've done really well on a jerkbait. A- and if that's, that's probably about as reaction as it gets for me yeah. during that, that the colder months. Other than that, yeah, picking up a spinning rod, throwing a drop shot, shaky head. I will throw a cinco. I'm not a big weightless wacky rig guy in general. I I I know it's very effective all all year round, but the one time of year I will pick that up uh, is during the colder months. You can cast that out to a piece of structure, uh, just let it fall, you know, brutally slow, and then just let it kind of dead stick it almost, you know, let sure. it sit on the bottom for as long as you can manage before you give it a twitch. And um, wow. that is pretty effective. A little challenging in the winter months. Sure. I'm a, I'm a power guy. I want to go throw a frog and a, yeah. you know, deep diving crankbait or, a, you know, flipping and pitching into wood. And, but there's still fish to be caught all year round. No yeah, doubt so about you, it.
2: you, you did, didn't you do a bass every month? I did that 2022?
0: last year or year before. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't make it happen. No, it was two years ago. You're right. I think it was two years did ago. Did you make the attempt or did it? Uh, things just got in the way this yeah, last year. Yeah. This year, what is this, 20, 23 now? Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. I don't know actually this year. was Maybe you're on your way, you just don't know it. I, I might be. Yeah. I'll have to check. Uh-huh. But yeah, I did, I, I... Made a goal one year to do that, and I was able to do it. It wasn't yeah. easy, but wow. I think we were able I to do it. I think
1: October or November was when I, when I got my PB. So At pretty, This time of year
0: can be yeah. phenomenal.
2: Continuing the conversation about bass fishing, one thing that a lot of people have questions about that takes a really long time to figure out is color, specifically knowing what color lure, You know what water conditions. And so I wanted to pick your brain on like what do you pay attention to when you're choosing a color? And what sort of different water conditions do different colors do best in for you?
0: And are we talking this time of year or just in general throughout the season? Well, let's talk colors in general. Colors in general? Yep.
2: Like, let's say like a overcast versus a sunny day, cold okay, water sure, versus yeah. warmer water, time of year. It's like, what are some things, murky water, clear water? And then how do you pick a color for those different environments? Definitely.
0: definitely. Uh, just in a general sense, starting out with that, that question, I prefer to fish more natural. I try to match the hatch. That's my thing. I'm a big match the hatch kind of guy. Some bass guys are not. They're throwing the most flamboyant colors they can get their hands on and they're still catching them. So color matters. But it doesn't always matter as much as I think we get all twisted in our head thinking it matters. But sure. I, I, there are definitely days and, and do you, times. Do you think maybe
2: higher pressured fish, it matters a yeah, little Yeah, I can
0: definitely see that, right? I think on higher pressured fisheries, you know, mm-hmm. going a little more natural, a little more subtle
2: yeah. can be good. Maybe a fish that hasn't seen too many lures is... More okay by oh, you know, a yeah. bright white or a chartreuse they're just smoke anything. Yeah, they're like just a gonna... like a chartreuse frog, right? Versus right. like a fish that's seen that a hundred times, sure. You know, might want the more natural looking bait. Yeah,
0: I'm just I've always just been a more you know match the hatch kind of guy. However, you know, if I'm fishing colder muddy water. I definitely will adjust to those brighter colors like a chartreuse, okay. chartreuse and white uh, and baits that have more vibration. Vibration plays a lot in that too. So if you have, you know, again, that that murkier, dirty water, stained water, a little bit more action, vibration, crankbaits, bladed jigs, spinnerbaits, things like that in okay. brighter colors. Or you can go to the flip side and actually go very dark with the color of the bait. So. Oh, okay. Sometimes I'll actually mix it up. If they're not biting the, the white and chartreuse spinnerbait, I'll pick up a black and blue or black and purple, and I'll try that in muddy water as well. Just contrasts it. well in that mud. Yeah. And I've had days where that has that change has made a very significant difference. So it does, it does play sometimes okay.
2: for sure. So what you're doing in that situation is you're trying to make the bait visible.
0: In, in those conditions, yes. It just needs to be able to be found. I okay. think, you know, they need the thumping, the vibration, you know, they're picking that up in their lateral line. Yeah, Sight is not obviously as good at when the when it's that murky. So you want something that's really bright or really dark, again, to contrast. Okay. So yeah, this, just them finding it is important. Yeah. Now on the flip side, if you're fishing really clear water, really clean water, again, that's when I go more natural, trying to really match the hatch. That's when I'll study. If I'm going to a new fishery, I'll study what prey is in that body of water. What do the crawdads look like? What do the bait fish look like? You know, what other fish species are in the lake? And so if it's loaded with bluegill, I'll probably throw Very natural bluegill color bait. Okay, in in those cleaner, clearer water conditions. Yeah, yeah.
2: And so then, if you're throwing something that doesn't look like a bluegill, you would still go for the bluegill color in that situation.
0: I mean, it just again, anything natural. I think uh, bass aren't overly picky. Like I said, they 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 can be. They can be finicky. But if it's really bright, if we're talking like gin clear water. And high bluebird, you know, blue sky kind of day. Yeah. Uh, if if I can get them on a reaction bite, I'm going to do it. I want to fish that way. But your, a lot of times I'll be throwing like a, you know, almost a translucent or clear kind of a opaque colored bait, something that has some light transparency through it Okay. Uh, to really make it subtle and natural. Yeah. So that I'm thinking jerk baits, crank baits, things like that. If you're throwing soft, you know, soft plastics, I don't know if it matters as much because you're generally fishing that on the bottom. And if they're looking down at the bottom, it's going to have color to it, right? It's going to be brown or gray or whatever color the bottom is in that. So then it's, I'm throwing those more. Those browns, those green pumpkins, the watermelon colors, yeah, yeah, crawdad colors, things like that. If I'm sticking a bait on the bottom, where we fish a lot, and then we'll it, it's not always muddy. It's
2: usually green. Right. So I know what color you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) So what kind of like color baits are you using in green water?
0: You know, that's a tough one. I don't know if I. You're kind of. You kind of got to play. Both ends of it, or you know, I I'll generally probably start with something natural, and if they're not hitting it, then you know you yeah. you move and you kind of kind of got to let the fish tell you what they want. Sure. I don't have a real dedicated color spectrum for got it. for that, and I mean I fish the Willamette a lot and I love it. I think yeah. uh, they can see better than we can in the water, so yeah, at least that's what I've read and, and what I understand. So they can still see everything just fine. The natural seems to go well in that in that greener okay. color water. Yeah. yeah. Or you know, honestly, if it's Willamette during peak season, I'm probably throwing top of water. for being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. at that point i don't know if it's a high bluebird day now top water is different if it's a high bluebird day i like black i think Mm. it contrasts the bright blue sky really well okay you know if you got a clear bait or something that's translucent they may not be able to see it as well or even a white bait now if it's really overcast dark skies and i'm throwing top water yep i'll go with the brighter you know the bone color the white uh something that that does pop a little better in darker conditions
2: well how does depth of the water contort colors as you go deeper, don't the don't the colors appear different? It does, does. That affect your color choice.
0: Uh, it can to some degree. Uh, I I have seen a really neat study where they they showed this color wheel and they they had a camera on it somehow and sank it down and as it got darker and darker as the thing got deeper, you could see those colors changing. There was there was a certain couple colors that really stood out. Okay, I think it was like reds and oranges, which kind of makes yeah. sense. Mm. Uh, I, I don't quote me on that, but uh, it was, you know, it was interesting seeing how yeah, some yeah. of those colors, some of the more natural colors almost disappear. Yeah, You know, they do get hard to see. So I don't know if you're fishing really deep. Uh, I still end up throwing natural stuff a lot, yeah. but
2: I, there are times it, where that's, it that's sounds when sounds like what you're saying is you start natural most of the like time. That's just me. Totally. You just start natural. Unless it's really muddy. Yeah. And then in those bad water conditions, muddy, murky water, you'll kind of Switch it up to make it visible.
0: Right. Otherwise, I'm starting natural, and if I have to change it up, I will. For okay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but I do think, yeah, mixing it up with uh, some slightly brighter colors and in, in deeper water, if you're fishing, you know, 30, 40 plus feet. Yeah. I can see how the visibility down there would definitely be, you know, obviously, a little bit tainted. It's just a little, little dark. So yeah. Have you noticed a pattern like when you're fishing
2: a river and a lake, like let's say in the same week, you're going? from a, a river to a lake, and you're throwing the same style of baits. Have you noticed a difference in color choice for each of those different, you know, whether it's river water or lake water?
0: Yeah, I think really any body of water, whether you go lake to lake, river to lake, river to river, it's it does seem that certain colors do work better during certain time frames, and, and that's not always consistent either, though, right? It's sure. So, this is one of the big mysteries in fishing, yeah, yeah. it really is. Uh huh. It's a good topic because, yeah, everybody's going to have their own kind of different opinion. But, but yeah, I think I've had absolutely had days like I did a did a trip with one of my good buddies, Kyle Spears, uh, this Mm -hmm. last year. We hit four lakes in two days on the coast. Sweet. And man, that was a blast! But it was like something different worked at every lake. Yep. There was one bait we were throwing a Mega Bass Mag Draft, which those are awesome. Uh, oh man, if you haven't had, if you, if you want to get into the swim bait game, that's a great mm-hmm. entry swim bait to get you
1: hooked and in rainbow,
0: right? Yeah. And so that, that's so we we were throwing rainbow trout color, and yep. and uh, that that plays really well, obviously, on the lakes where we have stock, that's one of my favorite colors for yep. anything. Oh, rainbow me trout. here in Oregon, yeah, you yeah. can't yeah. go wrong with rainbow trout, um, <laughs> especially but, at a lake. Yeah. But you know, you hop over to one of the river systems, and I do a lot better on like a white mag draft, right? Mm-hmm. Like a pearl white. Really? And that's, I don't know if it's just smallmouth prefer that. That may. Yeah. I do catch a lot of smallmouth on brighter colors as well. I think different species, even between largemouth and smallmouth. Okay. Um, I, I do find myself using brighter, more obnoxious colors with smallmouth. Yeah. Draft. So it even changes there. Let's get really,
2: really specific. You're going fishing tomorrow. So we're in the middle of October, end of October on the Willamette. You're trying to catch bass. And these weather systems we've been having,
0: what are you gonna throw? So I haven't looked real close at the Willamette the last few days. I've been busy, so I don't know what the water color is right now. But within a few days, that'll change. But I'm your saying plan. it'll it could for sure. Yeah, it's
1: pretty dark uh, right now. I'll say
0: it's probably got a little color in it. We've had some rain in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Ultimately, this time of year in the fall, I do feel strongly that bass start to feed up on bait fish. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of you know all the all the fry you know that was spawned in the spring and summer is now. They're, they're transitioning into being, you know, three, four inch fingerling fish, yeah. even bigger. They're real good snack size for bass. So I do feel like in this later part of the fall, mid to late part of the fall, there's a, a really good bait fish bite. So bait fish Got colors it. would probably be where I would start, but you just can't go wrong with crawdad colors and bass. At the okay. end of the day, if there's crawdad in that body of water. Yep. Somewhere there's a bass eating crawdad. Yeah. Even if there's a million bait fish uh-huh. around. So you, you can't go wrong with craw colors and bait yeah, fishing. I've caught bass, plenty of bass where you squeeze the belly and you feel the crawdad. Oh, in yeah. There, you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they'll just puke them up on the back. Actually, a lot. Oh, Especially at really? the like yeah. Columbia, man. I've <laughs> caught a lot of them in the Columbia and you, you know, boat flip them in. And next thing you know, there's just crawdad guts <laughs> everywhere. You're
2: really? Like, wow. I haven't had that. Yeah. yeah that's cool. they,
0: they, 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 well,
2: the Columbia is loaded with crawdad, So they yeah, eat a yeah. lot of them there. But, hmm. well, that's all super helpful information. I
1: appreciate yeah, it. Yeah,
0: definitely.
2: Eric, do you have any more, uh, Uh, Questions before we get toward the end of this?
1: No, I think uh, he did a pretty good job of giving people some helpful hints to get them in some fish, whether they're out on the Willamette or they're out dinking around on the lake. Um, Yeah. Yeah, you just really, I mean, it takes time. And and that's the thing. You got to spend some time out there and figure out what works. You know, it's always different. No, I think it's uh, a good transition to kind of get into what we're really here to talk about, not only just the outdoors, but really what the spiritual connection connection is to the outdoors I think for me there's not a whole lot of things that that can replace you know a good day of being out fishing on the water but it always kind of comes back down to why I'm there and I I don't know for me I always feel more at peace and like I'm in tune with God and only thinking about two things fish and and having some sort of a conversation maybe it's not with the guy I'm with but you know, the big guy upstairs. So what's your spiritual connection to the outdoors and your lifestyle?
0: You know, the outdoors, uh, that's, that's where I clear my head. It's where I find a lot of peace and I can kind of step away from the chaos of everyday life. You know, like I said, I'm really busy. got a lot of different things going on and personal life and fishing and work and getting out on the water is 100% a way that I can connect with the good Lord. And it's been something I've been doing my whole life, right? Whether it is hunting, sitting in a tree stand or hiking upland game bird, you know, country or out, yeah, out on the water bass fishing. I definitely uh, find myself saying a lot of little prayers when I'm out on the water in a good way, you know, right? I'm thinking about how grateful I am and and the gratitude that I have for where I'm at in life and and the blessings that I I have. And I often find myself just saying a little thank you for those things out there on the water. And uh, there's actually a really good song out there um, by Larry Fleet. Uh, It's called That's Where I Find God. God, and he talks about being out on the water, in the woods, and that's where he finds God, right? Like it's yeah. that's where he has that spiritual connection. I relate to that a lot. It's a great song, and yeah, that's that's uh, you know I've always had a strong faith. Uh, I don't I'm not the guy that's out there necessarily, you know, preaching to everybody around me. Probably should attend church a little more often than I do, to be honest with you. But that's that's where yeah where I where I feel the most close to him, and and have a lot of those really good conversations is out on the water, being out outdoors. Cool. You mentioned
2: gratitude, which I feel like is a huge, important concept. And anyone can feel gratitude and feel thankful for our wonderful resource, right? It's like this beautiful world that we get to live in. Whether you believe in God or a God or not, when you're out there, you just can't be help but be enamored and so grateful for the outdoors, for the sunsets for the mountains for the trees for the rivers all the critters yeah all the the wildlife that's i
0: love the wildlife that's just something about that Really speaks to me, but
2: yeah, you're right. You hit it on the head. It, it makes me it makes me wonder uh, how what what other things in life even can compare to the the outdoors when it comes to the concept of gratitude, relationships, sure. people that you love. Maybe I just really, as an outdoorsman, you know, it's like other than family and people that I love and being thankful for those personal relationships, it's like the thing I'm secondarily most grateful for, and obviously for my for my salvation, for the saving grace of of God. Those things aside, it's like there's nothing in this life I'm more grateful for than the, the beauty of the natural world. Hey, this is Bryant here with a quick interrupter. As I've been thinking about the conversation I had with Jamie this week, one thing that he talked about that really stood out to me was how when he's out in the outdoors, and when he's fishing, when he's hunting, he finds himself saying lots of prayers of thanks, lots of little things, not only for the outdoors and for the resource, but for the blessings in his life, for this family, for the provision of God. And, you know, even when I'm out there, I find myself praying a lot praying thanks. And a lot of times even though I pray thanks for the things in my life like people, relationships and provision, I also am praying thanks for the beautiful nature that I'm surrounded by and the animals that I get to pursue and all the amazing experiences I have when I'm out there. And I just wanted to say maybe if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, I have a question to ask if you relate to that. If you find yourself being grateful for nature and for the outdoors, who or what are you being thankful to? Because gratitude is, gratitude is directed at something. We aren't just thankful for the trees because they exist. The trees don't have a choice to exist. They're just trees. They're trying to survive. They're trying to grow and they are what they are, but they don't have a choice in the matter. So it'd be kind of weird to be thankful for the trees or thankful for the mountains, thankful to the mountains, but once again, the mountains just kind of exist as a natural process. They're, they're there. The mountains didn't choose to be there and choose to be beautiful and, and massive. For me, instead of being thankful to the created, the trees and the mountains and the outdoors and the views and the animals, I'm thankful to the creator of those things and for how he allows me to experience them and see his glory reflected in them so maybe just some food for thought if you're thankful for and you experience gratitude while you're out there doing these activities in the outdoors maybe ask yourself who are you thankful to who can you thank for this and i think you'll find that the answer is god
1: if people want to you know, find you on social media? What are some of those ones that you're on most of the time? Well, definitely Instagram. That's where I've
0: kind of built uh, called a following,
1: right? Uh, over the years, I've put
0: a lot of energy into trying to build that. And that that was very beneficial when sure. it came to, you know, providing a little bit of something for a brand, right? Is that I had a, a little bit of a following on there. So yeah, Jamie Mac Fishing on Instagram is probably where I'd send folks. Um, do you have a Facebook page, you know, Jamie Mac Fishing or Jamie McEldowney Fishing on there? I have a YouTube, but I haven't been, I haven't had any time in the last couple of years to really mess with it, so I don't even know if that one really deserves a plug at this point. Uh, I had to watch
1: it last <laughs> night, and I can just tell you right now, I watched you do a heel clicker, and I was going, "Ah, uh, dude, my hip flexors hurt so bad." Right, right. You might have <laughs> found the old Moto one. Did you find? So I have a fishing there's one now the, too. There's yeah. old the old Moto page on yeah. YouTube. That
0: actually that that thing blew up for years. We, yeah. we put a lot of energy into that too. But that's yeah. I don't even know. I'm I'm not even. Yeah. that one's long gone. Uh, I don't even think I could log into that one at this point if I wanted wow. to, but yeah. Um, but yeah, on the fishing side, there is a, there's a Jamie Mac uh, fishing on, on YouTube, but cool. Uh, no, we, I think, yeah, big, big ones, Instagram. For sure.
1: Yeah. And you know, we also want to plug discount tackle because you yeah. know, they're, they're a huge part of your life.
0: They are. They're, they're one of the biggest, uh, definitely want to, yeah. want to, you know, let everybody know if you're in the Pacific Northwest, uh, Jeff, and you need Fishing Tackle, check out DiscountTackle.com. We have some of the biggest sales in the industry. Uh, we have an ever-growing selection like we talked about. And the biggest selling point for us is our shipping turnaround time. And that goes across the country, realistically. We we ship every single order that's placed day of if it's placed wow. before 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So. Uh, we get orders, I mean, thousands of orders out the door every single day that are wow. placed that day. So we're we're really, really efficient in our shipping and that we're gaining a lot of customers because of that. A lot of the other, you know, big retailers online, sure. it, you know, it'll take a week or two to get tackled. You might get your package split up into three different shipments. We don't do that. You're going to get everything all at once. It's going to be fast. And if you're in the Northwest, you get it really fast. Yeah. Um we can you know anybody in Oregon can pretty much order and have their package within one to two days on the awesome. standard shipping. Yeah. Uh, and free shipping over fifty nine dollars. So uh cool. Yeah. Definitely uh grateful for that opportunity working at that that you know at discount tackle and uh plan to be there for quite a while and uh, continue to see that thing growing. So Right on yeah, Check it out for sure. Well thank you for awesome.
1: Yeah, thank you for coming out and making the time for us. You know, this is you know, like I said, you've been on our list for a long time. Top 10, episode 10, Jamie Max signing out. I appreciate you guys for having me again. Thank you. Yep.
2: Thanks for being on and I'll be uh I'll be buying some tackle from Discount Tackle. There we go. We got one at least. All right. Yeah. One sale. sale. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Definitely. All All right. right.
0: Appreciate you guys. Thank you.